Good morning, morning. old hearty ones. And those of you who are listening from home, we welcome you as well. Uh, It's kind of a deja vu here in the sanctuary this morning. It takes us back to March and April of 2020 when we were doing primarily an online service and a few scattered around the sanctuary. So we're glad for those that braved the elements and made it out. I know I was checking my phone between services and they just let us know that we have no power at our house, so we may as well be here. Right? You may not have power at your house when you get home, but I hope you do. Uh, if you need a Bible this morning, hold up your hands. Brad is passing out Bibles to anyone that needs them. You need a Bible, Marley? Where's yours? At home, is it a fair weather Bible? You can't take it out in the storm. <laughs> well, it's so good to be with you this morning, and uh, I think I know about everybody in here. But if you haven't met me before, my name is Wayne. I've served on the pastoral staff here only for thirty years and seven months now. One of these days, I'm going to get the hang of it. And. Uh, but a couple of announcements before we get into God's Word, and we're going to be in Psalm 19 this morning, so if you want to turn there while I make a couple of announcements, you may. Um, again, we're coming up on the end of the year. Thursday is the 31st, and there's a lot of people every year that like to make year-end gifts, and um, the, there's just a couple caveats. They have to be either in the church office by the 31st, or they have to be postmarked no later than the 31st. And if they are, they go on next year's giving statement, not this year's. So we're pretty particular about that. So if you're mailing in, uh, you have to be postmarked by the 31st. If you're going to bring it to the office, you need to bring it in before the 31st. And then we're continuing to uh, do some coffee here. This is uh, coffee that is made by... Drink coffee, do stuff, and we've got a deal going on with them right now where they've roasted some coffee up for us, and these are $16 a bag, but the proceeds are going to the missions program of Sierra Bible Church, and so it's a good deal. I was going to say you can buy it for a gift, but Christmas is over, isn't it? And you don't want to hang on to it till next Christmas. But yesterday, I was at my daughter and son-in-law's house for brunch, and I took a drink of the coffee that came out of the pot, and it was delicious. And I said, Ellen, where did this come from? And she said, this is the drink coffee, do stuff coffee that's available out here. So it is good. Oh, my, and it smells so good. So uh, you can grab some of that. So again, we welcome you today. We welcome all those who are online. Uh, this is um, a little bit different day for me. Um, After 30 years and seven months, I'm going to be stepping aside from being a member of the pastoral staff here at the church. And I was thinking today, you know, this is going to be my last sermon. Hopefully it's not my last sermon ever in this church, but as a member of the pastoral staff. And I was thinking back somewhere between three and four thousand times I've either preached from this pulpit or taught a Bible study or whatnot over the last 30 years and seven months. So 
it's kind of messing with my head, you know, kind of coming to an, an end of an era. But, and people keep saying, oh, I hear you're retiring. Well, I don't like that word, and I don't see it in the Bible, so no. We're not retiring, but we are shifting gears. Uh, several years ago, I wrote a book called The One Another Project, and uh, within the last two years, I have um, turned it into a 501c3 not-for-profit corporation, and it is our plans in the years to come to uh, spread the one another message beyond the borders of Truckee through conferences and seminars and retreats. Uh, a couple months ago, Sandy and I traveled to the Colorado Springs area and did a men's retreat there, and went very well, and that's what we're hoping is just some more events like that. Truckee will continue to be our home, and Sierra Bible Church will continue to be our church. We're just going to be members now, rather than staff members. And so pray for us. It's a big step of faith. You know, in, uh, in July of 1978, we took a huge step of faith. I was a youth pastor at the Christian Center in Twin Falls, Idaho. And we were called to pioneer a church in Moab, Utah. And we loaded up all of our worldly possessions. They all fit in a little U-Haul truck. And we had one son at that time. Well, we still only have one son. We, only, we had one child at that time. He was 20 months old. And we traveled to Moab, Utah, and pastored there for the next 13 years and had a very successful ministry there. And then God called us to Truckee, California. And lo and behold, and I'll tell you what, I've had a sense in my life at different times, I was created for this. And I thought it was Moab, Utah, but Moab, Utah for us was a proving ground. It's where we got to cut our teeth to come to Truckee because I believe that God truly gave us life, breath, and being for Truckee, California. And uh, we love this place and we'll continue to serve as God grants us opportunity. But, uh, Pray for us as we take this step. It's a big one. You know, these steps of faith sometimes get a little harder to take the older you get. You know that? You know when you're footloose and fancy free and, you know, those adventures are exciting. Sandy and I were talking yesterday. We're out driving around in the storm just having a time of our life. When we lived in Portsmouth, Virginia, when I was serving in the Navy, there was a hurricane that came through, and these two kids from the salmon track in Idaho, where, you know, uh, an Idaho rainstorm is three drops of rain and a cup of dust, uh, we'd never seen that much rain and wind, and so we're out driving around in the hurricane. We're the only people out on the road, but boy, was it an adventure. And then we're driving, and the wind's blowing, and the rain's coming in sideways, and then the eye came over, and it's just dead calm. Then a few minutes later, the wind started blowing the other direction. And here are these two dumb kids from Idaho in a 65 Mustang out enjoying the, the hurricane. And so there's some risk left in us, and we're going to take another one and uh, see how God meets us along the way. If you would this morning, stand with me. And we are going to read from Psalm 19. This is such a beautiful psalm, if you would... Uh, humor me this morning or indulge me, I'd like to read all 14 verses. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. 
There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout the whole earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, it just dawned upon me, this last verse, a prayer that I have prayed literally thousands of times in the last 45 years. As I am charged to proclaim God's word to God's people, it's never been without my knees trembling. And so once again, I pray today, dear God, because this people have not come to hear the ramblings of a man. They've come to hear the oracles of God. So once again, dear Father, in Jesus' name I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Open up our eyes, our ears, our spiritual comprehensions this day that we may discern what it is the Spirit has to say to his church. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the heart of Psalm 19 for me is 7 through 14. And in these verses, we gain a sense of King David's regard for the Word of God. He says God's word to him is more desirable than gold, than much fine gold. It's sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. So I want to ask you some questions as we go along this morning. The first one is, can you say along with the psalmist, 
that your desire for God and His Word is greater than your desire for silver or gold or any material possession for that matter? Is your desire like David's desire? David's son Solomon penned these words in Proverbs 23, 2. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's quite a statement. And so I would ask you a second question. Would you sooner miss a daily meal than miss time in God's word? That's what he's saying here. My desire for your word is greater than my necessary food. Or like someone separated from their lover. Do you find yourself longing for time alone with God? Do you think on that through the day and and look forward to getting alone with God? The, The psalmist again, he wrote, My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. He was looking for the end of his work day that he could go and rest and think on the things of God. You know, it used to be not all that long ago, you know, 120, 130 years ago, that when the sun went down, you know, people quit working. And they went to bed or read some during the night. Recently, during one of our power outages, and we had an old antique kerosene lamp burning on the, on the counter in our house. And boy... That's tough to read by. But we know that people did, and they anticipated that. But we come home, and all sorts of noisemakers are happening, and our television, and our computers, and our online stuff, and everything. You know, do we ever slow down? Do we ever appreciate the end of a work day so that we may come and meditate on His Word at the end of a busy day? One of my favorite psalms is, Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is a very intriguing chapter, and our community group just finished studying through it, and it's one of the best studies our community group has ever done. Besides being the longest chapter in the Bible, every one of its 176 verses extols the virtue of God's Word. Is that right, Mike? You buy that? (laughs) <laughs> I know there's a couple that don't have, but the whole gist is there. And here, as you study that psalm, here's what the psalmist is saying God's word means to him. He says it is his delight. He delights in the word of God. He said it, it is his truest and most trusted counsel. He says that it is his comfort, it is his guide, it is his light, it is his sustenance, it is his hope, it is his life. One of the things that was so interesting when we did Psalm 119 in the last year was that, you know, the psalmist probably wrote that while in exile in Babylon. Life wasn't exactly what he wanted it to be, and he wasn't exactly where he wanted to be, and circumstances certainly weren't what he wanted them to be. 
But it sure fit us in this day and age and in this time for the things we've been going through for the last two years. And you realize we're not the Lone Ranger. And God has given us that repository of his word so that when we go through our dark times, God's word is here to cheer us, to keep us, to comfort us, to strengthen us. I was talking with Brad before the service this morning, and I, I've come across, I love the stories of old hymns. I mean, a lot of them don't have a great story behind, but some of them, they, they were born out of the crucible. And I came across a thing this week and shared it with Brad on the song, O Holy Night. And that was a song that has a rich, rich heritage, and it was picked up by the abolition movement in this country during the Civil War. It's got one verse that says, and the slave is our brother. That was, that was written during the Civil War. It was something they latched onto. And then the other one is, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote that during the Civil War. And there's a verse in the middle. I wish I had looked it up and I could read it to you. But he's talking about what a bunch of garbage everybody's saying, peace on earth. He said, there is no peace. And, and the, the hate is strong. And it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Wow. Wow. But then the last verse is saying, no, good is stronger than evil, and good will prevail. And Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, in the next year or two, saw the Civil War come to an end. But it was right there in the midst of it. But my brothers and sisters, that's the Word of God. The Word of God, it becomes our comfort, it becomes our hope, it becomes our strength. But it also becomes something else. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've had people, they have made, they've just gone and bought a new car or a new something. And for some reason, they think they've got to bring it by the church and show it to the pastor. I've had people pull up out front and just lay on the horn until somebody goes out and there they are in their new automobile. They just got to tell someone, that's fine. We've all, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? We've, we went and showed somebody our new whatever it was. But you know what? When God's word fills our hearts and God's spirit fills our hearts and we come alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, when this hope fills our hearts, another great desire arises. I want to tell somebody. I want to tell somebody. Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There is no secret service in the kingdom of God. We're not called to put it under a bushel. No. We're called to let our little light shine. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, that said, as soon as a man has found Christ, he begins to find others. I will not believe that one has tasted the honey of the gospel if they can eat it all themselves. It wasn't just for you, it's for others. And then the Apostle John in his epistle says, what we have seen, what we have heard, 
we proclaim to you. In regard to sharing our faith, in regard to passing it along to others, as Christian parents, our greatest desire is to pass our faith along to our children. And it's amazing how many places in the Psalms we are exhorted to tell our children the stories, the old, old story. But even Solomon in the Proverbs, 23 times he starts a verse, my son, my son, to pass on that which he had learned to the next generation. A few years back, Sandy and I completed a living trust. This document spells out how we would like our earthly goods to be divided upon our passing. But the fact of the matter is this. I want to pass on so much more than my stuff. Because the things that I treasure the most are not things. One day, several years ago, a gentleman came into my office and he was carrying a wooden crate full of old Bibles that he had found in the attic of his parents' house in upstate New York. He lived here in Truckee. He was my neighbor, lived across the street. In fact, uh, where's, the, where's Logan's friend? He lived in Logan's house at that time. And his parents lived in upstate New York, and they had a farm. They both passed away. And he went back to sell the farm. He went back to get some stuff out of the house. And in the attic, he found this wooden crate full of old, old Bibles. And not only had the, Bible, the old Bibles, it had an 1833 edition of Flavius Josephus's uh, History and Antiquities of the Jews. But my favorite out of the whole box was this one. This Bible was printed in 1841. And if you pick it up and look at it, it's not fragile at all. It's all hand-stitched. Between the testaments are the family tree, the marriage dates, the birth dates, the death dates, uh, all those kinds of things. This was in that box, and and as I'm picking through it, I came across a letter. This letter that I'm holding here was written on February 18th, 1849. And it is some of the most beautiful handwriting you've ever seen. This lady practiced her penmanship And I think we could learn a lesson and try this all over again. (laughs) Said from a school teacher. This Bible belonged to a woman named Sarah Lake. And she gave it to her only son in February of 1849. 173 years ago. And the letter that she wrote to her son is still in it. 
And let me read that letter to you. February 18th, 1849, from a mother to her dear and only son, J.A. Lake. My dear child, take this book. It is the richest and most valuable treasure that I can bequeath to you. You hear that? It's the richest and most valuable treasure I can bequeath to you. May its truths and precepts be your guide through life, directing you in the path of usefulness and virtue and pointing you to the Savior of sinners. And when this world shall entice you to sin, may its restraining influence prevent you from digressing from the path of righteousness. And may its principles and statutes have such an influence on your life and character that when you have finished your course on this earth, you may be prepared to die the death of the righteous and join your departed mother in that world of bliss which she hopes to attain through the merits of Christ. Such is the longing and prayer of your affectionate mother, Sarah P. Lake. The most valuable thing she had to bequeath to a son was this book. Pasted on the inside cover is her obituary. She died eight days after writing this letter to her son. She was 41 years old wrote the letter to her son and passed away eight days later. Her obituary said, in Mount Morris, New York, Livingston County, February 28, 1849, Sarah P. Lake, wife of Orrin D. Lake, age 41, passed from this life. Mrs. Lake became the object of saving grace in the summer of 1842 and was baptized into the fellowship of the First Baptist Church in that place in August of 1843. She brought a mind naturally gifted and richly endowed with acquired accomplishments as an offering to the altar of Christian sacrifice. Her life, subsequent to her conversion, gave increasing evidence that she had been with Jesus. (laughs) Isn't that a great quote? Her life was growing in the evidence that she had been with Jesus. Several times she was brought to the very verge of the grave, but her faith was firm. She knew in whom she had believed. The closing scenes of her life furnished yet another evidence of the power of Christ to sustain the soul in the hour of death. Her end was peaceful and triumphant, For sweet is the scene where Christians die when holy souls retire to their eternal rest. Wow. Wow. You know what we call this? A legacy. See, most people in Truckee think legacy is a Subaru. Legacy 
is a particular thing or a certain material good given by one's last will and testament. And we've lost it here, too. You know, we always talk of someone's will and testament. Well, the will was meant to disperse your material goods. The testament was your testimony written down to your children and your grandchildren and those around you of how Christ influenced your life and then was passed to the next generation. Will, your goods, testimony, your legacy. This was Sarah's legacy, and I love it. Her life gave increasing evidence that she had been with Jesus. When I read this, I think of Mary who came and broke the spikenard ointment and wiped Jesus' feet, put it on Jesus' feet, then wiped his feet with her hair. Oh, man, I would have loved to have been in that room. But you know what? When Mary got up and walked out, she smelled just like Jesus. Because she took the ointment that she rubbed on his feet and then dried his feet with her hair. And every time I read this, Sarah Lake had something in her life that was the fragrance of Jesus. And it was obvious when she had been in his presence. And what Sarah Lake bequeathed to her son were the words of life found in the Holy Scriptures. My son, here it is, the richest and most valuable treasure that I can bequeath to you. Wow. Wow. The New Testament talks about a special sort of tragedy. That of inheriting the whole world and its treasures but losing one's soul. So much emphasis in our day on age on the stuff, the attainments, the degrees, the notoriety, the fame. But how many gain the world and we celebrate it, but in the end, they lose their soul. I have a question, question number three. What are you storing up to pass on to your children? What are you storing up to pass on to your children? What would they say if I could pull them aside today and ask them, what is the most valuable thing that your father and mother possess? I'd like to hear the answer to that question. What is it that your mother and father treasure more than anything else? What would be their answer? Listen to what Asaph the psalmist said. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Now, friends, I didn't, I wasn't born yesterday. And I understand that we have a God that created us 
with needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, emotional needs. There is a place that there's practical stuff that we need it. A roof over our head, shoes on our feet, clothes on our body. A snowblower. There's nothing wrong with stuff. But where does that stuff fit in the hierarchy of your heart and your mind and your family? Someone wrote many years ago, it is only one life. It will soon be passed. Only that done for Christ will last. Where are you making your greatest investment? In the stuff? Or in him who said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things? That's the stuff part. Will be added unto you. Every needed necessity in your life will be added unto you. See, our problem is, is we have our stuff, but we always want more stuff. And I, I know people who are billionaires. And you know, and you wonder, well, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And I'll tell you what, the older I get, oh, I'm right in there with Asaph. There's little left on this earth that I long for and desire. My bucket list has nothing left on it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We have lost at least four, maybe five dear friends in the last few months. Praise God, they all knew the Lord Jesus. And frankly, I'm a little envious of them. And wish I would have been at their bedside when they passed so I could grab their hand and go along for the ride. Because I look and think, they got out of this mess. We're still here. We're still here. We're still here. But I'll tell you what, my longing to go home gets greater with every passing day. And I don't know about you, but I want to be remembered as one who loved Jesus Christ more than anything. First of all, by my children. Which one of them is here today? Your name's in the living trust. And, you know, there's a piece of stuff for you. But I've got greater dreams, greater hopes. I don't know about you, but I want to be remembered as one who loved the Lord Jesus above all things by this church that God has allowed me to serve for this last 30 years and by this community that we've come to know and love and serve. The riches that come from faith are the riches that I want to pass to my children. I don't care if they come up with the cure for cancer and become gazillionaires. 
but leave this life not knowing him. Only one life will soon be passed. Only that done for Christ will last. One of my heroes of the faith is Billy Graham. Was Billy Graham. Well, he's still alive. He's just doing it in a different place. Uh, I was weaned on Billy Graham. My parents were his biggest fans. And when the Crusades would come on, you know, during the 60s and the 70s, boy, everything stopped at our house, and we parked in front of the TV set, and for seven days in a row, we watched the Graham Crusade. In February of 1974, I was attending the President's Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. I'm walking down the hallway of the, of the Washington Hilton, and coming the other way toward me, guess who it was? It was Billy Graham. We stopped in the hallway and chatted for a few minutes. I was like a little kid. Shook hands with him. Haven't washed it since. But it was a pretty big deal. I love that man because he kept the thing, the real thing, all the time. He just proclaimed the gospel. He refused to get caught into the side eddies. He just proclaimed the gospel. And if he was here today with all the junk that's going on in our world, he'd still be proclaiming the gospel. Well, it wasn't all that long ago that while I was doing some channel surfing, I came across a vintage Billy Graham crusade from 1987. And as usual, before Billy cannot preach till someone sings. Anybody know who that someone is? Amy Grant. <laughs> who said that? Hey, hey, Mr. Lawrence, just give her a little. No, it's not Amy Grant. <laughs> George Beverly Shea. Billy can't preach until George Beverly Shea sings. And so at every crusade, just before the word is brought forth, George Beverly Shea does his thing. And as usual, in this 1987 crusade, George Beverly Shea sang before the word was spoken. And in regard to this morning's message, I sat in wonder as he sang and I can't read this without a tune coming with it. So bear with me. The, the pain will be short-lived. And those of you who are watching online, you can turn the, the, the sound down. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this old world affords today.
I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this old world affords today. And before we leave this morning, I want to ask you, what do you value the most? Because that, my friend, that will be your legacy. Let's pray. Father, the truth of the matter is, is the sand of all of our lives is running quickly through the hourglass. And one day, we will close our eyes for the last time and join you in eternity. And to some degree, we're all going to leave something behind. What will be our legacy? How will we be remembered? By our family? By our community? By our church? By those who knew us over the years? I pray, dear God, that like Asaph, our desire will be for the heavenly things. And that with the stuff you provide us, we will be wise stewards of it, but we will never become our Lord and our God, but we will be as those who seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And the promise there is you'll take care of the stuff part. But, O oh Lord, may we pass the faith that you've given us onto our children, to those who are in our lives. As the redeemed of the Lord, let us say so. Let us not hide our lamp under a bushel, but put it on the lampstand for all to see. And when we leave, if all they can say about us is, Boy, did they love Jesus. That will be enough. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you guys stand with us while we sing one last song?